Ciao to the latest internet sensation. Nine. We are YOLO. YOLO. Can I say hi? Hi. Seven. I think we need to stick to a plan. Six. I just got bitten by a bullet. I don't even think Five. I have to react to that one. This Four. is Triple M's Summer Breakfast. With Seb Costello and Lawrence Murray. Can you believe it, Lawrence? Sepp Blatter rubbed out for eight years for corruption. Well, uh, he doesn't think that uh, they've made the right decision. There was a very long news conference where he was saying how sorry he was for the way he's been treated, but um, clearly misappropriation of funds. Are there going to be criminal charges laid against Sepp Blatter? Yeah, well, the FBI and uh, the American authorities are certainly investigating, but hasn't World Soccer been a bit ungrateful to Sepp? I mean, without (laughs) Sepp, there would be no need for the FIFA Ethics Committee. Yes, that's right. So he's installed that. And so essentially at its base, him and his mates were just paying one another <laughs> large bonuses, were they? Well, that's certainly what it appears to be. We've actually got an Australian on the FIFA Ethics Committee. Alan Sullivan is a QC, I assume, out of New South Wales. And uh, yeah, there we go. Aussie, 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 oi, 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 when it comes to suspending SEP. Good oh. So SEP's gone, but the big story for me was how Miss Columbia was stiffed in the Miss Universe. She was announced the winner um, and then uh, had the crown taken off her. I thought that that was a particularly painful moment (laughs) where you don't give a princess a crown and then take that crown back. Uh, As a man who has a young daughter, if you remove the tiara from three-year-old Maggie, how would that go down? Well, that's going to have exactly the same results as it did for Miss Columbia. A lot of running mascara and tears. If, that was brutal, I thought. Well, let's relive it. The final moments of the Miss Universe pageant. USA has been declared the second runner-up. We've got two left. It's Miss Philippines and it's Miss Columbia. Steve Harvey, the host of the US Family Feud, is in charge. Columbia! I have to apologise. Oh, <laughs> Not good. The first... Runner-up is Colombia. Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines. This is exactly what's on the card. Yeah. So uh, he took his... uh he took the rap, Steve, didn't he? He said it was all my fault because down in the bottom right-hand corner was written, the winner is, well, not the winner, actually. It just said Miss Universe. The card was, I've got to say, a little confusing. Well, at it's least... first and second written there. Lucky for Steve, the Colombians aren't a particularly vengeful people. <laughs> oh, <That's> wait. Right. <laughs> oh, wait, Steve. We saw how they treated their own <laughs> World Cup soccer team when they returned home after a... I would, I would suggest Steve never go to Colombia. No, I wouldn't have thought. Well, and it is a real sore point too. In Colombia, the number one hashtag at the moment is respect the crown. People full of outrage mm. on social media. Also, I did a bit of background on this. And given the socioeconomic nature of Colombia, pageants are really big news. And they are five-time runner-ups of the Miss Universe pageant, Mm. whereas next door in Venezuela, they are five-time winners. Yes. So it's a real sour point between the Venezuelans and the Colombians. It certainly brought a lot of weight to bear on my plans for when I went to South America in 1989. (laughs) Did it? I went from the top of Venezuela right through to the Amazon. It's a... It's an attractive country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is really opening up some old wounds. Although having said that, Colombia did win last year. 
So if they'd pulled it off this year officially and gone back to back, you'd have to think that maybe Sepp Blatter was in charge of the Miss Universe contest. FIFA, Sepp Blatter and Michelle Platini is offside, a banned for eight years for a disloyal payment. Set the scene, around 1.3 million euros was paid between the two in 2011, which Platini and Blatter claim was for work carried out around about 13 years earlier, which is rather hard to ascertain. FIFA have found that there was no legal basis for that payment and hence that they have been both banned for the eight-year period for being disloyal to soccer. This seems to be the tip of the iceberg, though, doesn't it, um, following on from those FBI investigations where uh, supposedly uh, interested parties who want the World Cup in their country are willing to make massive payments to people who've got influence within FIFA. And I don't think that this is a one-off payment or the actual, you know, the smoking gun. This is just an example of what's been going on there. Some of Blatter's public statements were part of the reason he was rocketed to the top of Clan of the Year nominations over 2015, <laughs> including the seance with his mother, where he considered his mother in those dark times. Also, he was uh, had mm. his had his press conference interrupted by a man who was throwing bundles of cash towards the audience and yes. saying to Sep, quick, quick, pick it up. And you can never organise who comes to your press conference, as Sep once again discovered after he addressed his penalty. I will use the sporting justice now to go forward. We go immediately, once again, to the, uh, to the appeal committee. We go to uh, the uh, TAS, Tribunal Arbitral de Sport. But I'm sorry that I am, as president of FIFA, this punching ball, and I'm sorry for, for football. But I'm also sorry about me, how I'm treated. Mm. You can identify me as an optimist, we saw that we have convinced the panel of the tribunal about this uh, the, the situation which was created about the payment for an ongoing contract which was never terminated, but yeah, yeah, still yeah. there is something due. It is for this reason I am now suspended eight years. Suspended eight <laughs> years. The single but part. I will fight. I will fight for me and I will fight for FIFA. Suspended eight years for what? There you go. So if you did just miss it, after Sepp said, I have been suspended for eight years, <laughs> someone in the audience just went for a little clap just to say it finally happened. Tell you what, there hasn't been much love from his former colleagues in the world of uh, football or soccer, Lawrence. The former Asian Football Confederation General Secretary, a man by the name of Peter Felipan, has called it a death sentence considering Blatter's 79, eight years he reckons will finish him off. Well, he's been in the position since 1998, so he's had uh, a fair old run at it. <laughs> uh, he's brought the whole institution into disrepute. He's covered himself in glory. He obviously refuses to take any uh, now, responsibility. Now, Lawrence, Vladimir Putin says he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> yes. Let's not forget that. Vlad's a... What a, what a great reference to have. <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Making a job application. I see uh, Vladimir Putin says but, you know, you're good with money. Yesterday, uh, James Heard was on the front foot saying the sports administration is just a litany of power and greed. And I think when it comes to Sepp Blatter, he's got it right. Yes. I'm not sure he was talking about No, I don't think he was talking about <laughs> Sepp Blatter either. He might have been talking about something closer to home, but uh, I'll just manipulate his point of view. I like it.
You look pretty amused. What's, go- what's going on over there? Well, I'm just having a look at the, first of all, just very quickly, a photo of the cast of Wind in the Willows. You know it's summertime and Christmas time when Ratty, Mole, Badger and Otter are back in the gardens. Yes. And, of course, the, the wonderful great. Mr. Toad. Yep. Uh, the Toad of Toad Hall. Mm. So if you want to get to a bit of Wind in the Willows, get down to the, and see them. The, the photo in the paper there is, I don't think it's the best makeup job of a Wind in the Willows cast I've ever seen. Mm. Maybe it was under hot conditions or rushed, but yeah, I just think the, the green coverage on Toad isn't the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is also making me laugh is a US survey of Republican primary voters, uh, Seb, suggests 30% support bombing Agrabah. Where's Agrabah? Agrabah is the fictional kingdom from Disney's Aladdin, of oh, course, yeah, right. that features in the song uh, of the same name. Uh, public policy polling said it's its uh, latest poll of Republican voters planning to vote in the upcoming federal election or presidential election found that 30% supported carpet bombing or magic, magic carpet bombing of Agrabah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Jabbar was a pretty intolerable tyrant. Yeah, absolutely. He was up there with you know some of the most uh, evil, the likes of Gaddafi and, <laughs> and those sort of people. Saddam Hussein. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a roll call of uh, despots that need to be bombed out of existence, even if they are cartoon I haven't watched the end of the film, though, because, you know, Aladdin gets in by the... I don't want to... Spoiler alert, everybody, Whoa. if you haven't seen Aladdin from 1992, but Jabbar gets knocked off by the end of it, and Agrabah sort of turns around. Mm. So you'd be bombing a lot of progress if you took out Agrabah at this stage. <laughs> I like how you've got a socioeconomic... <laughs> Forecast of what's going on in Agrabah. Ever since Jabbar... It's a progressive make-believe country. (laughs) Ever since that despot Jabbar was removed, GDP in Agrabah has been going up and up and up. And of course, you know, Aladdin's there. He can grant wishes. (laughs) That's right. So if trade is a bit down, just rub the lamp. And away we go. (laughs) It's on the front page of the Herald Sun. You better watch out. You better not cry. The petrol grinches are coming. And I'll tell you why, Lawrence Mooney. Price gaps of almost 30 cents a litre have emerged between the cheapest and most expensive fuel outlets. People knowing that you're going to take the family off to the big four caravan parks mm. this summer and they're jacking up the prices of the Bowser. So be careful. Whoa, whoa, hey. I think that's a little bit cynical to say that they're just jacking up prices because they know that people are going to want petrol to get away for Christmas. You know it's good... obviously a supply and demand thing. It's not just some arbitrary system, no. Seb Costello, no, where all of a sudden petrol scurrilous. importers and suppliers decide to just cream and gouge. Yep. No, mm. it's a system, a clear system, <laughs> where the price fluctuates according to world demand. And we all understand the system. I mm. mean, it makes perfect sense. You know, there's no gouging in petrol sales. Set bladders innocent and Miss Columbia should have won the 2015 yeah. Miss Philippines. And uh, if there's only a few flights from Perth to Melbourne for finals time, that they'd just leave the prices of those flights as they normally would. I told you next year was going to be the year of the facts, Lawrence Mooney. And That's right. James Hurd is right. The facts <laughs> are coming down. I'm not sure what the facts are. Why haven't we had the facts already? I'd like to find out exactly what the facts are, particularly in the Allenby case. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Darren, we were talking before about some of the price jumps on the petrol bowsers around Melbourne. What are you seeing? Well, I've just, uh, on my way to work this morning, and the uh, Shell on Springvale Road's already jumped up to $1.35 a litre. What was it yesterday? $1.09. Fair dinkum. What have they we got were... there? 26 cents jump in 24 hours. Yep, so it's on its way. Wow. Good on you, Daz. Thanks for that report. Ken at Port Melbourne, you got a petrol report for us? 
Yeah, it's on the uh, Todd Road exit of the Westgate Freeway. It's it's almost comical. The uh, United uh, has it at a dollar seven, and the Shell right next door has it at over a dollar thirty. <laughs> it was an easy decision, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, just so you know, I'm, I'm a dog walker, yeah. so I just want to reassure my customers of the dog concierge that I won't be putting my prices up 25% today. Uh, I'd like oh, to hear nice that. Hey, Kenny, uh, Sepp Ladder's looking for a job. Would you give him a gig as a dog walker? Uh, I'm afraid not. We actually require everybody to have a police check. So <laughs> I don't know how that would stand. <laughs> Good on you, Kenny. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Sorry, Sepp. Um, you, you're asserting that the, there might be some gouging going on by petrol suppliers. I'm going to stand on my own two According feet and say some bouses are very suspicious, particularly mm. Springvale Road, Keysborough, where it's gone up 26 cents in 24 hours. According to the ACCC website, under public holiday pricing for petrol, it says some customers think petrol prices increase by more than usual just because it's a public holiday or long weekend. A detailed review of prices in five large cities... Uh, around public holidays have shown that they're no more than the average price cycle. That's the ACCC. Have you, have you got a stake in a petrol station? <laughs> no, I haven't. You're going into bat for the operators here. Jason Lindbrook, <laughs> have you got a petrol report for us? Yes, um, there's three servos. Uh, one's at $1.18, one's at $1.10, and I said the lady one was $1.30, so but it's $1.12. So three servos, mm. 200 metres from each other, all three of them, different prices. That's weird. Where's and that, Chase? Stud Road and Wellington Road in Roval. Right, there's a bit of a cluster there, so uh, they'll be playing off against one another. One would be a 7-11, wouldn't it, down there? Yep, I think so. That's sort of Mooney territory, isn't it? Does that get out Does that get out to your old sort of stomping ground? Absolutely. Bayswater. Yes. Yeah, I know that area very well indeed. Near Wheelers Hill. Mm. Used to go out to VFL Park before they... Ploughed it into the ground and, well, people need to live somewhere, I guess, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. It's quite nice, actually, there. If, mm. if you're, I mean, if you're a Hawthorne supporter particularly, but even for anybody, if you have a little apartment, you're overlooking the training ground. Mm. And the ground's still there for public use and they've kept the Sir Kenneth Luke stand alive. So, yeah, we're on the hunt for cheap petrol today, so keep an eye out for it because... Seb Costello is claiming that oil companies are gouging people. I don't know. Cynical. So young, so cynical. Lawrence Mooney's good friends in the oil industry. <laughs> what was that research you had that was exonerating the petrol industry? What mob the was ACCC that had done a the ACCC yeah. had done a very heavy review of pricing across five capital cities on public holidays and said that it was not more than uh, the average price cycle. From Twitter, at MMM Hot Breakfast, Marcus Whelan says, it sounds like the ACCC needs a FIFA ethics committee. Yep. <laughs> I think that's very good they feedback. They have been accused of lacking teeth. Mm. And the FIFA ethics committee in the news because they've made a decision, they've banned Sepp Blatter for eight years from world soccer, as well as his offsider, Michel Patini, for disloyal payments of around 1.3 million euros or over 2 million Australian. Million dollars, and here's Sepp after the news came through, speaking from Switzerland, where he has been. We're coming back to this, of course, after seven. Sepp Blatter, though, has received the news. Here's what he had to say: I am now suspended eight years. So eight years he's done, and uh, here at the summer breakfast, um, we are court of of um, public opinion. Mm. We are 
making a community-based order for Sepp Blatter, mm. and we are asking you to suggest what he might do to pay penance. What job should he be made to do? Mm. Well, I mean, look, he's got or, a lot of skills, Sepp Blatter. You know, he can manage money to a certain extent. I mean, he's uh, he's got great contacts, very close to Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Handy. I mean, perhaps Vlad could make him the chef de mission of the Russian World Cup in a few years' time. Yeah, if he's happy with Sepp in the position there. After he's given him his Nobel Prize. He's, yeah, true, true. So one would come before the other. He's, uh, look, he can, as I said, handle certain books that would appear to make him eligible to be a secretary of the HSU based on recent <laughs> uh, right. recent activities. So he maybe could, he could fill that role. He could run the credit card department <laughs> of the Health Services Union. He could run the uh, Craig Thompson uh, Memorial yeah. <laughs> Memorial Brothel. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. What do you think Sepp should do? I mean, would you give him a job? One triple three five three, or hit us up on Twitter at MMM Hot Breakfast with all the skills that Sepp Blatter has gathered over the years as FIFA president. Mm. What should his next job be? And the axe has fallen on Sepp Blatter. Eight years suspension from FIFA for a disloyal payment of around two million Australian dollars that just happened to be handballed between him and his best mate Michelle Platini. What a weird euphemistic statement that is a disloyal payment <laughs> you know why it was disloyal why was it disloyal because only one colleague in fifa got a cut of it right. you're supposed to cut everybody in at fifa so we all get a slice of the corruption yeah, pie that's right like <laughs> any good gang the way to keep everybody happy is split the split the money everyone gets a drink well the news was delivered overnight to set bladder in switzerland mm. here's how he responded i will use the sporting justice now to go forward we go immediately, once again, to the, uh, to the appeal committee. We go to uh, the uh, TAS, Tribunal Arbitral de Sport. But I'm sorry that I am, as president of FIFA, this punching ball, and I'm sorry for, for football. But I'm also sorry about me, how I'm treated. You can identify me as an optimist. We saw that we have convinced the panel of the tribunal about this uh, the situation which was created about the payment for an ongoing contract which was never terminated but where still there is something due it is for this reason i am now suspended eight years suspended eight years but i will fight i will fight for me and i will fight for fifa Suspended eight years for what? And well, he should fight, Lawrence, because he's developed so many skills over the years, Seb mm. Blatter, as the president of FIFA. It would be a shame for those to go to waste. And that's the question we're asking. With all the skills that Seb Blatter has developed, what should his next job be? On the Twitter, Schmicker suggested, well, Sepp's pretty good at counting up the votes, giving the World Cup to Qatar and Russia, for example, why shouldn't he be the new host of the Brownlow? Oh, it'd be good too, because mm. uh, he can wrap his mouth around all those names too. <laughs> I couldn't understand uh, uh, what he was really saying there. English Sep is clearly his second language, but the way he was explaining what went on, very unclear. He knows how to paint a cloudy picture. I'd love to see him pronounce College Asney at the next Brownlow if he was doing the job. Our own Hyfe suggested that uh, now the Costa Concordia has been righted and maybe recommissioned, he could be the new captain. 
Yes, he has experience on sinking ships. There, Doug has suggested, given Sepp's financial wizardry, maybe he could be the new treasurer of the Victorian branch of the Liberal Party. <laughs> Given that Damien Mantak has been moved out, I quite like that, Dougie. One triple three five three is our number. What should Sepp Blatter's next job be with all the skills he's developed over the years? Give us a call, one triple three five three, as Lars has done. And Lars, what do you reckon Sepp Blatter's next gig should be? Well, mate, I reckon old Sethi should bump over the old John Edwards and get his own clairvoyance show. Mm. They can talk to the dead like he spoke to his dead mother and perhaps a bit of education around. I like it. He's also good at making things disappear, so maybe he opens a magic show with David Copperfield <laughs> on the, the Las Vegas Strip. Oh, yes. He can make all sorts the of payments extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Wherever any corporate government governance is required, Sepp Blatter should be there, shouldn't he? <laughs> Clarity. R- Richie at Scoresby, what should Sepp Blatter's next job be? Well, I'm thinking uh, vote count and um, also organisation of the uh, entire uh, Eurovision. Song concept. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a little bit. There's a few question marks over the way the votes get tallied at Eurovision. I'll tell you that. G'day, Keynes at Altona. What should Sepp Blatter's next gig be? I reckon it'd be a nice little vacancy for him for the uh, financial advisor for Greece. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. I think he just has the financial skills to be able to take over the Greek economy. One for you. <laughs> Two for me. We're not paying no taxes. Let's go to Ned at Maribyrnong. Ned, what should Sepp Blatter's next gig be? I reckon 2016 host of Miss Universe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he couldn't be any worse than this year's. And the winner is Miss Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? My goodness. Uh, showers on the Twitter is suggesting AFL Commissioner. We did give it that one. One triple three five three. Keep the calls coming in because he's just got so many, so many skills. Be ashamed to see Sepp just fall by the wayside. That's right. And uh, eight years banned from soccer, but uh, he can be put to use elsewhere. Mm, absolutely. Paul on Twitter says, whatever Sepp does, one thing is certain, Max Markson will be his agent. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just about right. At Richmond, Jeremy, given all the skills that Sepp's developed, what do you reckon Sepp Ladder's next gig should be? Well, I thought he could get a job uh, driving Peter Slipper around, and when he's not doing that, he <laughs> could perhaps uh, take up a helicopter pilot position for Bronwyn Bishop. <laughs> Imagine that's the start of a good joke. Sepp Ladder and Bronwyn Bishop get onto a helicopter together. Yeah. He's a man that's expert at abrogating responsibility too, so there's no shortage of company for Sepp Blatter. No, absolutely. Uh, Bearded Blue or Sean on Twitter says he could play Fagan in the next production of Oliver. (laughs) Probably appropriate, although the one thing I will say, at least Fagan got out on time. He was the only one that survived in the end. Really? Well, in the film at least, when the slums sort of get run over, the last scene, if I remember, is Fagan and Dodger skipping down a cobbled lane on their way to start their new empire. What becomes of Oliver? I I remember seeing that movie as a kid. Yeah, Oliver gets, doesn't he get taken in by the sort of aristocratic family? and He gets airlifted out of there. He does, he does. Plucked out. Fagan and uh, Dodger, they go to start a new life, Mm. which is nice. Uh, Stoner Sloth. Have you become familiar with the latest technique the New South Wales government are using to dissuade teens from using marijuana? Yes, uh, via Twitter and uh, kind of weirdly via America. I follow some American comedians, Dave Anthony being one of them, and he was saying, I love Stoner Sloth, and there was a bit of a a thread there. So I went and had a look at the videos online, and of course it's a campaign saying, you know, you're worse on weed, basically. The Stoner Sloth is no good at exams or social interactions or being part of the family. But I think that it's one of those classic campaigns that the sloth is going to become the hero of Mm. this, not the villain. Mm. And so 
stoners per se may be embracing the sloth as their champion and their representative. We'll get to that after the break. One last suggestion from Mark on Sepp Blatter's new gig, the Iraqi communication minister. <laughs> the stoner sloth campaign has got a lot of people talking. It's mm. an anti-marijuana campaign that's been funded by the New South Wales state government that's supposed to dissuade teens from smoking marijuana. It depicts a sloth who's unable to cope with various situations like having dinner with the family or doing his exams. Social interactions et al. Except it's probably proved to be more popular with teenagers in a different way than the government foresaw. If you haven't seen it, here's how it goes. Jason, could you pass the salt, please, darling? Jason, the salt. So uh, it always tags with stoner sloth and then the hashtag, you're worse on weed. Now, we would be loathed to uh, underestimate or undervalue the health risks and psychological risks of smoking marijuana, but it appears that the stoner sloth is going to appeal to the stoner. And as unfamiliar as we are with the consumption of marijuana, such phrases as ripping a cone or skinning up a fatty, if you're one of those people who have a predilection for um, getting munted or high, then uh, this may well appeal to you. Well, it is being mocked far and wide, particularly by the New South Wales Premier, who is actually in charge of this. Mike Baird sent out a tweet a few days ago saying, just saw the Stoner Sloth ads, not sure where the New South Wales government's ad guys found Chewbacca's siblings. Because he does look a bit like Chewie. He looks a bit Chewie, and the, I'm, I have a problem in terms of you know making it applicable to Australians. The sloth is an, an Indigenous animal. Mm. So if you were going to appeal to them, what animal would you use as your stoner animal? Mm, well, um, wombat possibly, although they the wombat, can quite move when they need to, the wombat. Yeah, but they do look like they might fit the you know the bill. Mm. Um, of course, the koala is renowned for actually getting high on, on eucalyptus. Mm. So maybe he's a candidate for it. Mm. I would have thought a kangaroo, a stoner kangaroo. Yep. Big red there, sitting at the table, unable to pass the salt. <laughs> Kangaroo has struggled to pass the salt as it stands. Uh, Saatchi and Saatchi came up with this campaign. Mm. So they're you know, one of the world-regarded advertising campaign creators, and uh, they've sort of missed the mark on this one so much so that uh, I'm reading some of the industry, the ad industry reports on this, and mm. it's become quite big, particularly in America, where pass the salt T-shirts are being sold online. And uh, Ad News have called it, uh, an instant and classic fail. Young people love the ads that are meant to shame them. And I think that that's where the trouble is. It's like, if you make it too cute, um, I would have thought that you may be too young to remember this ad, um, said, but there was back in the day, it was like uh, uh, an anti-heroin ad that was on the television. And it was like, leave the boy alone. Because his mum's like, what's wrong with you, Jason? What's wrong? And it's like, leave the boy alone. And he'd been shooting up in his bedroom. I thought that really hit the mark as a young kid. You go, mm. yeah, I don't want to be doing that. No, no, you don't uh, want to be by But stone to sloth, you go, oh, cute animal. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, what gets me is the first few bars of that 
solo string piece of mm. music that accompanies Stone and Sloth. Sounds a lot like The Godfather. Yeah, and I'm waiting mandolin. for the rest of it to unfold. So I feel a bit cheated by Stone and Sloth. Right. Like, do you think that Stone and Sloth will have a brother that kisses him and says, <laughs> it's you, Fredo. I know it was you. <laughs> this is our penultimate morning. Uh, and tomorrow is the night they call it a day. It's mm. over for us as of tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. No. I'm a little bit There's upset about that. going to be tears. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely there are. Then we'll be doing our Mad Wednesday. We'll be out <laughs> down in the Chapel oh. Street precinct. Uh, and by Thursday morning, we'll be apologising to our family, the sponsors, and the radio station. At MMM Hot Breakfast is the Twitter, and Tom Reynolds has made a certain observation of one of the promo cards for the Big Bash League. Mm. I'll leave this to you, Lawrence Mooney. As a former thespian, you're good at word pictures. It depicts the captain of the Renegades, Aaron Finch. Um, you take it from here. Okay, well, he's uh, he's playing a shot. He looks incredibly happy. The big words, oh, yeah, are there. <laughs> now, what has been intended as a, a swoosh mm. um, illustration of, you know, the shot itself... Uh, emerges from his uh, groin and side <laughs> as a large, red, pulsating, cylindrical shape <laughs> that in the night sky could easily uh, be identified as a phallic object. Mm, and it had to be a night game too, which means they're playing with the pink balls. So it does all sort of fit together in a certain way, doesn't if it? If you, uh, you know, it's like a magic eye drawing. If you look at it as a cricket shot, you see a cricket shot. If you want to be a year 10 student and see something else, <laughs> it's there to be seen. Mm. We live in a world where we need to be looking for new ways to generate electricity. Renewables. Renewables. And uh, in the French Alps, in the town of Albertville in Savoie, uh, they are famous for the production of Beaufort, a firm cow's milk cheese that is uh, one of the flagships of French cheese. Mm. But uh, for a long time, they didn't know what to do with the whey that milky liquid at the top, uh, they don't need it in the production of this cheese. Now they've added a bacteria to it. It gives off a biogas and it generates 3 million kilowatts of electricity a year to pro pro provide a community of 1,500 people with electricity and hot water. That is a good use of cheese. So the, this cheese-producing town can basically mm. power themselves off the industry. Off the way. They just uh, add, add a, a bacteria to it. It produces methane. We won't go back to the incident. And that biogas is then used to generate electricity. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. She could have been using that whey to generate electricity for mm. her community. <laughs> so I say to Little Miss Muffet, Shame on you. <laughs> Get off that tuffet Get and off start doing your bit to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So what is the best use of cheese that you've ever come up with? Well, I mean, that's a pretty good one. I don't think you're going to beat renewable electricity, although I do like chucking it on the top of a piece of Vegemite toast and creating tiger toast. Yeah, oh, tiger toast. There mm. you go. Mm. Returns you to a warmer, safer time, doesn't yeah. it? But isn't the way, the way is the protein, isn't it? I mean, you see whey plastered across all the boxes in the whey powder you know, supplement store. Mm. Isn't that what it does? So Miss Muffet really really should have been pretty enormous. Well, she uh, could have been swimming for the Chinese in the 2000 <laughs> Olympics. <laughs> Little Miss Muffet. Um, cheese. What is the best use for it? Yeah. Uh, I, I uh, have had friends come to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival uh, and been alarmed at one of our brands of cheese uh, because it carries what would be considered a potentially racially vilifying name anywhere else in the world. Mm. And uh, I don't even know whether I can say it now. I think you well, you probably could. Presumably, it's that Coon was the cheese. name of the 
family that started the company, I would imagine, isn't I it? I guess. Yeah. But Bega is certainly more politically correct. <laughs> we want to address the petrol situation because we're getting jumps reported to us on 13353 and also on Twitter at MMM Hot Breakfast. Some pretty big leaps at petrol bowsers around town. One man reported to us that he saw a 26 cent hike in 24 hours, which sounds a little dodgy. Mm. Joining us on the line, the acting manager of vehicle engineering with the RACV, Nick Platt. Good morning. Yeah, good day, guys. How's it going? Mate, terrific. I want to start off with this, though. Do you have suspicions that some of these price rises are not part of the natural cycle and are, in fact, price gouging? Um, look, I don't know about price gouging. It does seem like it's part of the cycle, but, you know, hey, it's, it's, it didn't get down to anywhere near as low as we thought. It was still a couple of cents to go. We reckoned um, in the price drop that it should have got down to, and, and now it started up just before Christmas, which is... Uh, which is great for families going away and wanting to see relatives. Mm. So, yes, Nick, um, it's always a little bit suspicious when it happens just before yeah. Christmas, the 30-cent yeah, price I mean, hike. Um, what, what might precipitate that in the natural cycle of petrol prices? Well, what happens is that um, the discount cycle works when people when, when petrol stations are undercutting each other um, and they're getting down, down, down to mm. um, grab volume from each other and then they get down to about, about the level of the wholesale and they said, look, you know, we can't sustain a profit of this anymore, so we'll shoot up and, and um, re-establish our profits, and then the whole cycle begins again. Is there, um, a, max- the- is there a maximum price at the moment? Um, well, at the moment we're seeing 134.9 as the typical price. So um, you mentioned before, you know, jumping 26 cents. Well, that's about a 25-cent jump, so that's... Mm. Yeah, so that that's what's happening. So it's all just catch up, is I mean that does seem quite difficult to take as a consumer that you know there is a natural price cycle which allows somebody to sell something one day and then the next day sell it for twenty six cents more or you know somewhere in the vicinity of twenty percent more. It's pretty it seems unnatural to somebody in another industry. Yeah, and you know it, it is difficult to take in that fact. But the thing is, as a consumer, you, you, you shouldn't take that lying down. And what you do is you go out there and um, you know what you should be buying it at. In this case, you should be buying it at under a dollar ten. Um, there's still petrol out there at that price. Be aware that that's where you should be. Um, if you see it at dollar thirty four, drive past there. Or if you're really desperate, only top up. Um, Nick, and yes, can I ask you? Um, if we see very cheap petrol uh, as opposed to very expensive petrol, you know, either side of the street, is there a difference in quality or is petrol petrol? Well, as long as you're looking at the same type of fuel, like you're not making the mistake of, of you know, shopping a, a premium versus a, um, a 91, mm-hmm. then all fuel should be to the quality standards that are laid down by the government. Um, so, in essence, you should be able to shop directly on price. Right, okay. And Nick, yeah. before you go, we're talking about petrol prices. Do you monitor the most affordable Pepsi Max and sausage roll combo at service stations around Melbourne? <laughs> this, is, this is something that flies under the radar. Oh, uh, <laughs> see, we've got to look into that because I think I, if there was a website that told me that, I would go there for sure. But Nick Platt, the Acting Manager of Vehicle Engineering at the RACV, thank you for joining us. Yeah. No problem at all. To Nina at Mornington, a petrol report for us before we move on. Hi, how are you? Oh, exceptional, Tanina. How are you? Very well. The awesome. sun's shining. Hey, the, always uh, shining. Petrol prices are horrible. Oh no! <laughs> What's happening down there on the peninsula? 
Well, I drove past one petrol station, which I've double-backed, and um, I'm going back to, so I've pulled over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caltex in Frankston are $1.9.5, and BP and Shell just down the road have hiked up to a $1.30.9. Oh, yeah. Time to chuck a Yui, I reckon, to Nina. At Tarnate, we've got, we got Trev. What do you reckon, Trev? You got some reports for us? Yeah, go. Let's tell you. Sensational, mate. What, uh, what do you got? Uh, BP in Tarnit is a dollar ten point nine. Well, that's mm, what Nick Platt good. says you should be shopping at. So, mate, if you've got yep. an empty tank, just uh, hit the indicator, pull in, and make sure you get the sausage roll and Pepsi Max combo. <laughs> that's essential, <laughs> mate. Absolutely, and uh, you know, if possible, four and twenty-two. Uh, I don't mind patties, but four and twenties. Yeah, really, sort of the high end. It's the Rolls Royce. Well, that's it. It's uh, tried and tested. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking pies now. We're giving pie reviews. I was going to say, you probably don't want to read too much about the tests they do on pies from time to time. I don't don't want to know what's in there. I just know that they've got it right. But can you generate electricity from it? That's what I want to know. (laughs) We'll work on that. Keep them coming. One triple three five three. We'll keep a bit of a list here. Frankston was $1.09. Uh, whereas a bit further down the road at the BP, it was a dollar thirty ton mm. eat a dollar ten. On opposite sides of the bay, they're competing at a dollar ten a piece. I love Franger. Mm. Frankanistan. No, I'm a bit, no, 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 no. It's it's the Malibu of Melbourne, Frankston. I love Frankston. <laughs> the Scotsburn fire just south of Ballarat has been a really difficult situation, most prominently for the locals, also for the firefighters, of course. But you know, over a dozen properties destroyed in that blaze. And joining us from the area is Alison, who is a Scotsburn resident. And Alison, must have been a tough few days for you. Tell us about your Saturday. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, terrible day. It was, um, it's, it's been really hard, um, I guess since that day. Um, the, um, obviously we, we, well not obviously, we, we lost our house, um, on that day. That must have Um, been just horrible. Yeah, yeah, it was, sorry. What do you do from that moment where you've lost everything and where do you, where do you turn? Um, well, I mean, we've had the support network that we that we have has just uh, been unbelievable. Um, the Bunyong and, and Scottsburn communities have just been incredible um, in the amount of support and um, offers of help. Um, you know, it's just has been overwhelming. Um, we are extremely lucky that we that, that we have received that. Um, yeah, so it's I guess it's made a a really difficult situation, um, just a little bit easier. Alison, take us through the moment the fire came. You're a mother. When did you know that you know it was time to move? Um, well, so we, because it was such a, a hot day, we we'd been outside and um, we'd been checking. We have quite a few cattle, and we'd been checking to, checking to make sure they were they were okay. Um, and then we'd come back inside and we, we got a phone call from a friend who worked with the, the CFA. He'd heard it over over his uh, scanner and it, he knew it was the address that was that was um, told was right near us, um, the position of the fire. So he rang us immediately and, and said, um, you, you need to have a look out your window. I think there's a fire. Um, so we, we walked back outside and, yeah, we could see the smoke straight away. It was really close to the house. Um, we... Immediately, um, I guess I panicked a little bit. Um, being being a mum of three kids, I was just wanted to get the kids out and, and and get us in a safe position, which we did. We got in the car um, and 
and we got out of there pretty quick smart. Um, my husband, he he stayed. He the first thing he did was uh, he phoned he phoned our neighbour. He's quite an elderly gentleman, and he phoned him to make sure that he was aware. Um, I guess we had a bit of a, a system that we had talked about and had in place within our our um, the place we live on our road that we're on. Um, we had a thing I guess worked out if someone knew there was a fire, you rang your neighbour, and then that neighbour rang the next neighbour. Right. Um, which is what occurred. Um, my husband started that ball rolling and got the the phone call started going down the down the road, which um, pretty much I think saved quite a few people down towards the end of the road because that fire was coming really fast. Um, and then we we probably our house was probably would have been okay. Um, the wind was going in a southerly direction and the fire was sort of heading away from our property. Um, but then, unfortunately, the wind changed, and um, it comes straight back onto onto our property, and yeah, we lost our house. So, were you able to salvage anything, Alison? Oh, look, we um, not within the house. We oh, the one thing I did get out was we got our caravan. We have um, we have a, a caravan, and um, yeah, I put the caravan on the car, the kids in the car, and we left. But um, we didn't get anything else out of the house, no. Wow, that, and this time of year, that must be so difficult. Um, it, it is, um, but at the same time, like the, the support that we've received mm. um, has been astounding. That like the kids certainly are not missing out this Christmas because we have just been overwhelmed with what what we're you know how we've been looked after. Well, Alison, let me just tell you, your friend Penny was actually the person that put us in touch, and she's written some wonderful words to us in which she describes your husband as you know a really impressive person in the way that he was able to help spread the word and also do what he could to to save property around the area. There's a Facebook page that's been set up too to help you guys, and I know that's not why uh, why you're speaking to us, but I would encourage everybody to look into that Facebook page and see if you might be able to support the people of Scottsburn. His nickname's Horse, Alison. I won't ask you why, but uh, I certainly wish you and Sean all the best. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> Alison Mahar of Scottsburn, thanks for joining us. Triple M Summer Breakfast. Yes. Sean, aka Horse, uh, is written up here as a humble man, a man of few words, a ripper bloke who can tell a story whilst washing it down with a few beers. He's normally the guy on the fringe of the group conversation, listening, chipping in as required, Never the centre of attention, never. Well, that'll be different for a little bit because Horse helped make sure that everyone in that street was safe and sound. And to ensure that we can replace some of the material things that the Mars have lost, there has been a Facebook page set up, Help Get the Mar Family Back on Their Feet. That's Help Get the Mar Family Back on Their Feet. We were just speaking to Alison Mar, who lost her home in the Scottsdale fires and trying to conceptualise what it would be like to lose all of your material possessions or have that moment to be able to maybe grab something. Uh, and speaking to you, Hyfe, I said I'd probably just reach for the laptop. That's the kind of nerve centre of your life, maybe a couple of sentimental items. But uh, yep. you lived in a fire zone as a kid. Yeah, well, I lived down in the mornings of Peninsula in a, a town called Summers, um, which was surrounded by a lot of farmland and a lot of grass. So growing up, we all, every year we'd practice our evacuation Plan as a family, you were drilled. Yeah, basically, we wouldn't often do it, but we'd go through the plan, and right. we'd have a meeting spot behind the shed, which was deemed the safest place, and then we'd grab, jump in the car, or we'd have a meeting place in another suburb as well if we got separated. And as a kid, what uh, what did you think you were going to grab your your footy jumper or a scrapbook or um, something? Well, 
I usually wanted to take the PlayStation. I'm not sure where that came from. But I don't think I really knew how little of importance that was. Um, but not at the time. No, well, no, exactly. It was very important at the time. Um, and I had a, I had a teddy bear that was my favourite growing up. So oh, I had to take five. that. What was your teddy bear's name? Teddy. Teddy, the teddy bear. <laughs> That's it. Wow. I was a got... young. I was young. Yeah, it's, you it's know, okay. 14, 15. That's fine, yeah. Um, and have you still got Teddy? Where's no, Teddy today? No, where Teddy is today. Really? I think my parents would still have him. Yeah, he's in a, probably a plastic bag somewhere at the back of the wardrobe. Probably. Teddy. Well, you know, if you see your parents over the next couple of days, make sure you bring Teddy back in because we'd like to, like meet, to meet him. Teddy. Yeah, okay. for no, sure. I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about the big issues here. What would you save? Of course, if fire came roaring up a road, you want to get your kids and everyone safe as quickly as possible. And uh, I guess in a way, material possessions aren't a priority. No, yeah. And we're lucky in this day and age that a lot of our important information is online. So, you know, we probably just get out as quick as you can. That's it. So, well, yeah, if you are in a fire zone, make sure that you do have a plan and... uh, Get out as quick as you can because nothing's as important as your family's safety and welfare. Rosie a joins cheese, us. But no, never mind. Pipe down, Mooney. Rosie joins us now to tell us all about Soundwave because it has been cancelled indefinitely. Yes. Can um, you tell us where did Soundwave come from and and why has it gone so poorly? Well, it was cancelled on Thursday, and at its helm is AJ Madder, whose uh, surname probably indicates where some people think he, his headspace is. Mm. Uh, he, a divisive character. Some people think that he was great for the industry. Others think that he has a very aggressive exactly. and combative so style. So you Sepp Blatter and, and James Hurd kind of ended the scale for Australian music. It began in Perth in 2004 with Good Charlotte, so it was a good headliner. Mm. Uh, Brisbane and Sydney got it in 2007 and then 2008 went to Adelaide and Melbourne. Um, it turned a $7 million profit in 2013 and then a $5 million loss in 2014. So what happened? What? Why was the turnaround so Well, they had, um, they had a poorly run Harvest Festival for a couple of years. The one in Melbourne at Werribee Mansion had great bands, but it was appallingly run. Uh, there were like long hour queues for the toilet mm. and they ran out of alcohol, which is, you know, the big no-no when it comes to festival time. And AJ couldn't have cared less on Twitter. He's, right. uh, I am not shouting on Twitter. He gets quite combative if you've yes. read any of his tweets. I have been introduced to his Twitter handle by Hyfe mm. and uh, he's out there. He's really taking a tilt at windmills this morning too, isn't he? Yes, always has. Uh, they bought the big day out and pretty much killed that off a few years ago. Uh, he also bought Billy So Hyde. is the big day out gone now? Yes, that's gone. So there was only Soundwave and this is where it's concerning because it was the only festival and now there is no, you know, uh, sort of big scale rock end of town mm. music festival. Uh, they also bought Billy Hyde sa- stage systems, but no one would use them just out of protest because he bought it. So that went down the gurgler. So um, claims and counterclaims of where the big money has gone. Yep. In do, are we following the money trail? Well, I don't know. But 2014, people weren't getting paid. So contractors right. like stagehands would rock up to the festival last year. And demanding upfront pay because otherwise they were worried that they weren't going to get it. And we're seeing more and more of these people coming out saying we haven't been paid. Um, there's one stage company from Sydney owed $80,000, another $34,000. Mm. The bands are also starting to come out saying we've been owed money too. So are the, what bands are putting their hands well, up? Well, there's 52 that have been named in Deloitte's um, reports into the administration, uh, the the voluntary administration of the, com- of the company. Um, but one of them being Soundgarden, which is owed close to 2 million, or sorry, 2.1 million. 
Right. And Ministry, who played last year, they're getting a bit antsy because uh, AJ Matter tweeted the other day, my first concern is for Soundwave ticket holders, but also partial concern for others buying tickets from Eventopia Ticketek. Is their money safe? Al Jurgensen uh, responding yesterday, <laughs> your first concern should be paying the bands who played last year, you effer. Right. So uh, there's a bit of anger out there in the music industry at the death of... Soundwave, and it is a real pity for the whole scene to see a festival like that go down the gurgler, especially following the demise of BDO. Yeah, and it's not fair because, you know, not only do us punters not get to go and see some of our favourite bands, it's the people that, you know, put the stages together. There's a whole bunch of little companies that that have no income this year now because of that, and last year they didn't have any income either because he wasn't paying them. And also the reason why um, Deloitte's thought that the – a whole thing fell down was because of ticket sales. He thought that they they had poor ticket sales and that's partially because the big name bands won't come anymore because of the reputation that they won't get paid. And uh, AJ Matter is pointing the finger at Eventopia, who is mm-hmm. a ticketing agency. And so it's obviously a lot of blame going on. Someone is going to come along and fill the breach though, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, there's not going to be Hopefully. no festival. Yeah, it, I think on a smaller scale it will be because it's the biggest one of its kind. But we've heard anecdotes that bands were getting kicked out of their hotel rooms because the rooms hadn't been paid for. So it was a pretty shabby organisation and people are starting to talk about well, it. Well, it's uh, it's good to have the wrap up and uh, we'll keep music fans posted. If you want to follow AJ, what's his uh, Twitter handle there? because it's uh, pretty explosive stuff mm. happening on his Twitter feed. At I am not shouting on <laughs> But in the meantime, go to your local pub and see a band. That's right. Support local music, get out there and buy some ticks. Very much so. Rosie, thank you very much for joining us. No worries, She's Seb. sort of like our version of the, the main character from Almost Famous, Rosie. You know, that uh, the great, the great. he grew up to be one of the great Rolling Stone rock and roll Oh, writers. he did too, yeah. yeah. And you are the equivalent I want to go on a bus ride now. Yeah. <laughs> Sing go a bit of the country, John. yeah. Just finished up my phone call with Kobe Bryant. How did it go? Oh. Kobe, good to... Good to have a chat with. He was good. Happy yeah. to hear from you. <laughs> uh, look, he wasn't especially, didn't point me out as somebody he was looking forward to talking to, but no, did a uh, conference call, which we were a part of uh, during the news there, and he was asked about Ben Simmons, the Australian superstar expected to be number one mm-hmm. draft pick, who could, depending on how bad the year goes for the Lakers, could end up a Los Angeles Laker, Ben Simmons. They are being trounced on the road at the moment, the Lakers, but uh, because Kobe is hanging up the boots, the ticket sales have gone through the roof because mm-hmm. everyone wants an opportunity to see the man one last time. A bit like the farewell tour. Yep. A bit like the farewell tour of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as depicted in Forget Paris with Billy Crystal, when Billy, the referee, evicts mm. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from his own memorial retirement game. It's a bit more like uh, Farnsey's farewell tour, I think. <laughs> Selling out the tennis centre 15 Oh, Lawrence, 15 don't open this can row. of worms. He never said that he wouldn't give up performing solo outside of the arena context. It's a great Australian tradition to have an ongoing farewell tour. Dame Nelly Melba. John Farnham, mm. Lawrence Mooney. <laughs> I'll never say goodnight. Oh, mate, you've got decades to go. A man who does not have that sort of time, of course, is Sepp Blatter. Story of the day, suspended mm. for eight years by the FIFA Ethics Committee for and, disloyal payments. And uh, off the back of that, uh, a lot of employers and prospective employers <laughs> yes. are lining up to say, sorry, Sepp, you haven't got a chance here. He's been denied a Jim's Mowing franchise. You know uh, what I'd like to say? I'd like you to see him end up in one of Gordon Ramsay's kitchens. Oh, yes. And have Gordon give him the treatment. <laughs> I would love to see Gordon Ramsay berate him. 
That should be some kind of like, there should be a place where you go to be berated by Gordon Ramsay. Hell's Kitchen, Zurich edition. <laughs> when the news came out, Sepp Blatter conducted a conference in Europe. Here's what he had to say. I will use the sporting justice now to go forward. We go immediately, once again, to the, uh, to the appeal committee. We go to uh, the uh, TAS, Tribunal Arbitral de Sport. But I'm sorry that I am, as president of FIFA, this punching ball, and punching I'm ball. sorry for, for football. But I'm also sorry about me, oh. how I'm treated. Mm. You can yeah. identify me as an optimist. We saw that we have convinced the panel of the tribunal about this uh, the situation which was created about the payment for an ongoing contract which was never terminated but where still there is something due it is for this reason I am now suspended eight years suspended eight years (laughs) but I will fight I will fight for me and I will fight for FIFA suspended eight years for what? No, 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 you're not fighting for FIFA. You're fighting against FIFA, Sepp. Yeah, and, uh, yep, they suspended you, Sepp. And for what? For criminal... Disloyal payments. Disloyal payments. But there is a criminal investigation. If ever there was a time when radio needed the ability to have subtitles, it is when Sepp Blatter conducts his press conference. But the Court of Arbitration for Sport will now hear the appeal of Sepp Blatter. And I caught up with them last month for the WADA appeal of the Essendon Supplements Tribunal decision. And at that stage, the Secretary General of the Court of Arbitration for Sport, Matthew Reeve, also a Swissman, was anticipating that, first of all, Sepp would be suspended, and second of all, that he would, in fact, appeal to Cass. And with that whole situation looming, here's what Matthew told Triple M. Uh, there will be a big pressure for us because the presidential election is already in February next year. So the goal for us is to be able to render a decision uh, before, uh, on time, so before the election, of course. So there you go. They were preparing for a big pressure with the eyes of world sport on cash and also giving it a timeline. So this decision will have to come before the presidential election at the end of February. When people in positions of power and privilege who are already getting a pretty good stipend for the services rendered decide to line their own pockets with the money of the organisation or bribes, I could not be more angry. Mm. When I see power and privilege pulling down more, uh, it just disgusts me. I hope that they hound him, that he's charged with criminal activities and that he spends some time getting a stripy suntan. Sepp Blatter, you're a disgrace. Well, somebody's hounded him. He's got some sort of bandage over his right cheekbone. So mm. either he's been injured or he's paying tribute to turn of the millennium rapper Nelly, who used to <laughs> rock the old bandage. Remember that? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nelly. Grammar. Love Nelly's work. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, somebody might have given Sep one on the way through, hopefully. <laughs> I'm looking at you. What did you just call him? Sep. <laughs> no, uh, was it a disgrace? Or? Yeah, yeah, an absolute disgrace. Oh, well done. Well, Ben, we were talking before about what jobs would be perfect for Sep, given his skills. And Benny at MMM Hot Breakfast says, given the stuff that's been coming out of his mouth for years, cleaning the toilets on the building sites would probably be appropriate for Sep. And I uh, don't disagree with him. Speaking of Cass 2, Eastern Football Club, continue to be quite optimistic in saying they're hoping for a result before Christmas. So, you know, that could see a resolution before the end of the week if that timeline stuck to. In the article from yesterday's Herald Sun where Hurdy said 2016 will be the year of facts Mm. 
and we're holding on to that because we want the facts mm. and we want them coming next year. Mm. You took a little bit of a silver lining from that, saying that he might have had some good oil that it's going to fall his way and kind of vindicate him. I don't think so. I have nothing to base that on, but I did find myself wondering, I, why did he do the interview on Saturday, given what was going to unfold over the next few days? Well, they are, we read into that? I don't know. It's been a very well-orchestrated affair by the Heard family. They pick their moments, so I think there's something is, there is something to read into. We're going to hear from Kobe Bryant next. Kobe Bryant on the retirement tour and staged just minutes ago, Lawrence, a conference call with all the international media. So they're nestled in with, you know, the news bulletins of the Philippines and the Argentinian sports magazines was, of course, Triple M's summer breakfast. And of uh, Christmas Day, Friday, uh, we worried about Kobe come Christmas Day or is he going to be okay financially? Uh, I reckon Kobe's kids will probably have a few things just sitting under the tree. He's playing on Christmas Day, actually. It's an NBA fixture. It'll be the Lakers and the Clippers. Kobe Bryant's 16th Christmas Day fixture, which is an NBA record. So it's a, a tradition, the NBA play on Christmas They've Day. They've really owned it. Yeah, they do a double header on Christmas Day, or televised, and mm. I'm not sure how many total games there are. The Hype is holding up five fingers. Five in a row. to me there's five back back. games in a row on Christmas Day. So, yeah, they've really owned that fixture uh, and uh, it become sort of part that of the is, tradition. What about the sanctity of our Lord Jesus Christ on his birthday? What about that? Mm. Well, I think they're playing for the Lord. Okay, are yeah. they? Mm. They thank the Lord. That's what uh, the commissioner might say anyway. Right. Uh, and, yes, yeah, so one of the key questions for Australians, because basically, yeah, there's better questions you could ask Kobe Bryant, but by the time they get to you, all the international media has asked about Shaquille O'Neal. They've asked Kobe to name his best five of all time. They've asked him, how close did you ever come to leaving the Lakers? So we thought we would put it to him about Ben Simmons, Really promising Australian talent. Son of Dave, the former Melbourne Tiger, who's killing it over there for LSU in the college system and is highly touted as a first-round, if not number one, draft pick. And we asked Kobe what he thinks of Ben Simmons and what advice he would give to somebody who's looking to make it in the NBA. You know, I think he's a fantastic player. I think he has, obviously, a tremendous amount of potential. Um, you know, the, the key really is just loving what you do. I mean, that's the, that's the magic of it, man, is really loving it. And... You know, you know you love it when you actually enjoy the process of it all. So, you know, if you love um, getting ready, if you love training, if you love preparing just as much as you love the end result of winning, or even more so than the end result of winning, then you know you have something truly, truly special. And that's something that you can't teach. That's something that you can't, you can't bring out of a person. You either love that thing or you don't. There you go. Kobe Bryant talking about Ben Simmons, and he did name his toughest opponents of all time in a team sense, which and he put were. number one, the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, they've both been up together. The Spurs of Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan. He named Kevin uh, Garnett's Boston Celtics of 2007, eight, of course. You're a bit Celtics. of a Celtics fan, aren't you? I don't. Well, I like that team because mm. that team was brought in. They were carrying the burden of the Larry Bird era. The Celtics had been down for a very long time. Paul Pierce had been sweating away by himself. And then they went out and they got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and mm. made it happen. I could see you as a bit of a beer-swilling Mark Wahlberg Southie type. Come on, Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, get the ball in the... Down in the Boston Garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I'll in be the practicing park. He named the Sacramento Kings, which were that side that some believe were intentionally uh, kicked out of the Western Conference Finals by the referees because the 
league wanted the better rating Lakers to make it into the finals. And of course, he named Michael Jordan the oh. Chicago Bulls of the late 90s when Kobe first arrived. Another cloud over sports administrations. <laughs> Heard he was right, mate. It's all about power and greed. Mm. Earlier in the week, we spoke to Doug Fryer, who is the Assistant Commissioner for Road Policing. Mm. Tomorrow, he will be on the show and I will be throwing myself on the mercy of the court like the American president gets to absolve a turkey just before Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask the Assistant Commissioner for a traffic to uh, reinstate my license. Mm, well, good luck with that. It's, a, reason- it's an extraordinary move. Uh, <laughs> I think it's covered under common law. It's got no precedent, but uh, we'll see. Well, I'm glad you're talking about this because the last time we spoke to him, you were up in Brisbane mm. and just found a way to turn off the microphone so you couldn't be part of the interview. Well, I was. Uh, I got a call from my legal team <laughs> and they said, uh, do not take this call. <laughs> Go black on this one, go dark, do not say anything that might incriminate you. And then as soon as the interview was wrapped, Mm. the microphone was working There it was all over again. So we've got a big show tomorrow, not just Doug Fryer talking about being safe on the roads for Christmas, which we, of course, implore everybody to do because uh, it's a time for family and nobody deserves to die on our roads. We've got the green machine, Danny Green, my mate on the program, Mm. Lawrence, with reports that he, through Brian Amatruda, who is a well-known fight promoter in town, is negotiating a bout with Sonny Bill Williams. Which would be a very interesting bout. Um, Danny, of course, is uh, towards the end of his career now, and uh, it may be his final fight, so we'll ask him all about that tomorrow. Fascinating, because it would have to be fought at heavyweight to allow Sonny Bill to take care of it, or take part in it, I should say. And Danny's a cruiserweight, so there will be around a 10 kilo difference between the two of them if they were to step mm. into the squared it, circle. It is a, uh, yeah, the fancy. Mm. It would it would be a big weight difference, 10 mm. kilos, too much. Yeah, although some would say Danny's got the skills and the experience on his side. So that's what makes it all the more interesting. And, and we have the great Gary on the program as well. Which Gary? Nathan Lyon. Right. Mm, fresh off taking five for 23 in the Big Bash. Australia's first ever off-spinner to reach 50 tests. Arguably the greatest off-spinner in the history of the game in Australia. We'll be speaking to him about that. And it's a party show tomorrow, Seb, because it's all over. We'll be walking out of here <laughs> and uh, then Mad Wednesday begins. It's been really fun. Can I finish by fun. just dipping my lid to the headline writer at the Herald Sun who has written an article about how Clive Lloyd himself, the great Clive Lloyd, is coming out to support the West Indian team for Boxing Day to try and pep them up and hope for victory. And the headline is Lloyd's Prayer. The Lloyd's Prayer. Very nice one. poignant at this time of year. We Lawrence applaud Mooney. all sub-editors everywhere. Seb Costello. Hi. Out of here. Have a spectacular Tuesday. From St. Kilda Beach to the